Hello and welcome to Stars and Stuff, astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, I'll serve a little cheese that I'll tell you why it's okay to shoot for the moon and land among the stars. We'll also talk about alien life, or more specifically, where is it? Before I get into the rest of the podcast, indulge me in some cheese for a moment. Yes, that's right, cheese, and not the kind the moon is made of. If there's one thing I've learned from astronomy that also applies to life is that you should have lofty aspirations but realistic expectations. I've been into astronomy since I was six, and I can remember buying my first copy of Astronomy magazine just a few months short of my 11th birthday. I couldn't understand all the big words, but I certainly liked the pictures. That edition, April 1982, featured images taken from Mauna Kea in Hawaii, one of the best locations in the world for astronomy. The images were amazing, but even then I knew I couldn't hope to see the same glorious colours and details through my tiny department store telescope. All the same, I kept at it. Seeing those same objects for myself was like seeing a celebrity featured in the pages of some other glossy magazine. Yes, it's nerdy, but frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I am who I am. Fast forward over 30 years, and that kid from England is now living in Los Angeles. I get to see some real celebrities buying their groceries at Whole Foods on a Saturday morning, or taking their kids to the park later that afternoon. Every weekday morning, I listen to the most popular breakfast radio show in LA as I drop my nearly four-year-old son off at preschool. He sings along to Sucker by the Jones Brothers and High Hopes by Panic at a Disco and I enjoy their interactions with their listeners. They're good people. More to the point, they seem to be having a lot of fun. So when I started this podcast, I texted them because they have a daily happy news segment and, well, this was my happy news. I was under no illusions that the podcast was not on the same level as their radio show. And yes, it's still young and it still needs work. They texted me back, but I wasn't able to talk due to work commitments. When I published the second episode, I texted them again. I figured that, with a title like Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Uranus But Were Afraid to Ask, it was sure to grab their attention. I wasn't wrong. I got a text back, and within 10 minutes I was sitting in my car talking to them on the phone. We talked about the podcast and generally had some fun at Uranus's expense. In a nerdy way, for a few minutes, I was like a planet orbiting a different sun and I was hoping that maybe some of their light might brighten my own. Afterwards I, fa- I posted on Facebook, I was just on the radio! Except I wasn't. I was wrong. The call was recorded, but my wife said they never played it. I listened the next day, but they didn't play it then either. I could have been irritated or annoyed, but fortunately my name's not Stan and even though I was disappointed, I understood. Maybe it was because we were talking about Uranus, sorry, Uranus, or maybe they just didn't think it was worth broadcasting. Who knows, at the end of the day I enjoyed the chat and it was fun. My point, and I do have one, is that sometimes life, like astronomy, is like the April 1982 edition of Astronomy magazine. The things you see, you can experience, but maybe not to the same extent that you might expect. But that shouldn't stop you from trying. As the cliche goes, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. There's no such thing as an overnight success. It takes work, persistence and effort. I also believe it takes the right kind of positive belief that one day you will be successful, as you were always meant to be. 
but you have to keep at it. Nearly 20 years after I read that edition of Astronomy Magazine, I was writing a monthly column for them. It didn't just happen, I had to work for it. Listening to my podcast make me cringe. I won't lie, I told someone that I thought the content was fine, but that the, the delivery was terrible. And while I know I can be very self-critical, I also know when I'm right. The podcast is new. It will get better. I will get better. And the number of people who listen will increase. I don't do this because I'm hoping to become some kind of celebrity, like the astronomical images in the magazine or the voices on the radio. I do this because I want to. And I hope that maybe someone will someday listen, who might then be inspired, and who then shines like some kind of stellar celebrity. Stars shine. But unlike the planets that orbit those stars, they shine with their own light rather than reflecting the light of others. Don't be a planet, go be a star instead. A dramatic glimpse of the aftermath of a collision between two exoplanets is giving scientists a view at what can happen when planets crash into each other. A similar event in our own solar system may have formed our moon. The observation is of a double star system more than 300 light years from Earth, with stars that are at least a billion years old. This mature system has shown signs of swirling dusty debris that is not cold, as would be expected around stars of this age. Rather, the, the debris is warm, reinforcing that it was made relatively recently by the impact of two planet-sized bodies. A decade ago, observations of the system by ground-based observations and NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope gave the first hints of this collision when the warm debris was first found. More recent observations have revealed the infrared brightness from the debris has increased by more than 10%, a sign that there is now even more warm dust. Astronomers have put together a detailed map of a rare collision between four galaxy clusters. Eventually, all four clusters, each with a mass of at least several hundred trillion times that of the Sun, will merge to form one of the most massive objects in the universe. Galaxy clusters are the largest structures in the cosmos that are held together by gravity. Clusters consist of hundreds or even thousands of galaxies embedded in hot gas and contain an even larger amount of invisible dark matter. Sometimes two galaxy clusters collide, and occasionally more than two will collide at the same time. The new observations show a megastructure being assembled in a system called Abel 1758, located about 3 billion light years from Earth. It contains two pairs of colliding galaxy clusters that are heading toward one another. Each pair in the system contains two, two galaxy clusters that are well on their way to merging. In the northern pair, the centers of each cluster have already passed by each other once about three or four hundred million years ago, and will eventually spring back around again. Meanwhile, the southern pair has two clusters that are close to approaching each other for the first time. Comets are known to have a temper. As they swoop in from the outer edges, edges of our solar system, these icy bodies begin spewing gas and dust as they venture closer to the sun. Their luminous outbursts can result in spectacular sights that grace the night sky for days, weeks, or even months. But comets aren't born that way, and their pathway from their original formation location toward the inner solar system has been debated for a long time. Comets are of great interest to planetary scientists because they are likely to be the most pristine remnants of material left over from the birth of the solar system. A team of researchers have reported the discovery of an orbital region just beyond Jupiter that acts as a comet gateway. This pathway funnels icy bodies called centaurs from the region of the giant planets, 
Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune into the inner solar system where they can become regular visitors of Earth's neighborhood. Roughly shaped like an imaginary donut encircling the area, the gateway was uncovered as part of a simulation of centaurs, small icy bodies traveling on chaotic orbits between Jupiter and Neptune. Centaurs are believed to originate in the Kuiper Belt, a region populated by icy objects beyond Neptune and extending out to about 50 astronomical units or 50 times the average distance between the Earth and the, and the Sun. Close encounters with Neptune nudge some of them onto inward trajectories and they become centaurs, which act as the source population of the roughly 1,000 short period comets that zip around the inner solar system. These comets, also known as Jupiter family comets or JFCs, include comets visited by spacecraft missions such as Deep Impact, Stardust and Rosetta. Lastly, astronomers have revealed that the asteroid Hygiea could be classified as a dwarf planet. The object is the fourth largest in the asteroid belt after Ceres, Vesta and Pallas. For the first time, astronomers have observed the Hygiea in sufficiently high resolution to study its surface and determine its shape and size. They found that Hygiea is spherical, potentially taking the crown from Ceres as the smallest dwarf planet in the solar system. Mercury has vanished from the evening sky and has now been lost within the glare of the Sun. It's headed toward a conjunction with the Sun on the 11th of November when it will transit across our star's face. This is an event you won't want to miss as it's pretty rare and won't happen again until 2032. I'll talk about it some more in the next episode. Venus, on the other hand, is drifting away from the Sun in the sky. You might be able to catch it very low on the southwestern horizon about 30 minutes after sunset but it will become easier to spot as the year draws to a close. Jupiter and Saturn are still easily seen for several hours after sunset, but both are now well past their best. Jupiter sets about two and a half hours after the sun, while Saturn remains visible for about another hour and a half longer. Look out for a crescent moon close to Saturn on the first. Uranus and Neptune can both be seen throughout the entire night, but you'll need to know where to look for them. Neptune sets a few hours after midnight, but Uranus remains visible until the pre-dawn twilight. If you're up early, you might also spot Mars in the dawn sky. It raises a few hours before the sun, but is still quite faint and lower over the southeastern horizon, making the red planet difficult to spot. It's approaching Speaker, the brightest star in the constellation of Virgo, the Virgin. The two will be closest on the 8th of November, but the planet will continue to slide past the star for the next few days following their close encounter. Lastly, the moon reaches first quarter on the 4th and will appear as a half moon in the evening sky. It turns full on the 12th. A few episodes ago, I mentioned our nearest galactic neighbour, the Andromeda Galaxy. At over 2 million light years away, it's the furthest thing you can see with just your eyes. But of course, it's not the only galaxy out there. Do you know how many galaxies are in the universe? Go on, have a guess. No, it's more than that. A few years back, a study was published that estimated there are about 2 trillion galaxies, give or take a few. I'm not sure how you can have a finite number of galaxies in an infinite universe. I'm a writer, damn it, not a cosmologist. But I do know that's a pretty big number. That's a 2 followed by 12 zeros. It's a lot of galaxies, but more than that, it's also a lot of stars. There could be hundreds of billions of stars in our own Milky Way galaxy, and it's safe to assume 
the vast majority of galaxies have billions of stars too, so even more zeros. With so many stars in the universe, the obvious question then comes up, are we alone? And just as importantly, where is everyone? Logically there are only three possible scenarios, we're the first, we're the last, or we're not alone. Being the first seems a little unlikely. The universe is about 13 billion years old-ish. The Earth is about 4.5 billion years old, with life first appearing about 3.8 billion years ago. Again, I'm not a cosmologist or an exobiologist, but I'm thinking that leaves plenty of time for other forms of life to develop. So what if we're the last? If that's the case, then either all the other civilizations have destroyed themselves, which is pretty depressing, or we're coming to the end of the universe. That's also depressing, but fortunately there's no evidence of that. Which leaves us with option 3, we're not alone. So where is everyone? Here's what I think, and you're welcome to take it or leave it. The universe, to quote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is big, really big. The distances to the stars are so huge that it's simply not possible to reach them by the technology we have now. And while I don't think the speed of light can be broken, I don't see why the technology won't someday exist that will allow us to reach the stars by some other means. After all, if you could travel back in time 500 years with your iPhone and start playing a downloaded movie for a local peasant, you'd probably be burned at the stake for witchcraft. What's impossible today is common tomorrow. Assuming it's possible, some way, somehow, to reach the stars, we're back to the same old question. Where is everyone? Are they not interested in us? Do we merely orbit a small, unregarded yellow sun in a corner of the uncharted backwaters of the galaxy? Are we being shunned until we can learn to just get along with each other? I don't know. I drink and I know things, but I don't know this. Are they walking among us? I guess that's possible, but I'm not into conspiracy theories and I haven't seen any evidence of it. I think the vast majority of UFO sightings can be explained. Heads up people, it's probably the planet Venus or maybe marsh gas. But I'll admit that there are some things that make you go, hmm. I heard a theory that the universe seems to be built to cater to human life. Interesting. But wouldn't it be the other way around? Wouldn't life develop and adapt to its environment? And that being the case, wouldn't most life in the universe be like life on Earth? What if, and hear me out, we're alone in this universe? What if we're the only ones here because, by some sheer fluke, over billions of years, through trillions of random events, we've been lucky enough to survive. What if there are an infinite number of universes, each occupied by a single form of intelligent life unique to that universe? Think about this for a moment. We could have the entire universe, with all its many worlds, completely to ourselves. Billions of worlds to explore. We know they're there, but we can't reach them. And beyond those worlds, an infinite number of universes, all with unique forms of life, but we can't reach them. It's something to think about the next time you're staring at the stars. Here's this episode's trivia question, and as always, it's a shameless plug for my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book. Each episode's question comes from the book, and you'll find 731 others within its pages. It's available on Amazon, so please buy it. You'll be smarter because of it, or at least you might appear smarter to your friends. It's also great for pub quizzes and astronomy club quiz nights. So here it is. What percentage of all life that has ever existed on the Earth is now extinct? A. 54% 
B, 69%, C, 84%, D, 99%. You'll hear some pretty music for a moment and then I'll come back with the answer. Alright, so the answer to the trivia question is D. 99% of all life that has ever existed upon the Earth is now extinct. That's a pretty staggering number. A low estimate gives the number of species on Earth as about 2 million, and we're currently losing between 200 and 2,000 species a year. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, and I hope you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. That's tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. If you're interested in my books, and why wouldn't you be, you can find them at tinyurl forward slash rjbamazon dash us in the US and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-uk in the UK. The holidays are around the corner and they make terrific presents. I'm just saying. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. Thanks for listening and until we talk again, clear skies to you.